0: John chapter 10, verse 10, patterns of provision. There's something about kind of understanding the nature of God and the nature of life. When we, we get an understanding, it's called comprehension. It creates an atmosphere where we can grow in our faith. So I think John chapter 10, verse 10, the words of Jesus is a great start He gives contrast about how evil the devil is and how Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy as a thief. He's a hater. He's a wicked. He's a taker. God, on the other hand, is just so good and such a giver. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He tries to steal your joy, tries to kill your vision, tries to destroy your destiny. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life, and have it abundantly. Everybody say abundant life. (laughs) The word in the Greek, zoe, which is uh, life. And it's actually the God kind of life. And um, there's natural life that animals and vegetables and trees and everything and humanity on a certain level enjoy. But there's another, there's eternal life. There's life that is eternal in in time. It's eternal, uh, infinity. But it's also not just qualitative, it's quantitative. And I want to talk to you about how plenteous, how abundant it is. You know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy This is really important to get this. God's a good God. The devil's a bad devil. He's a thief. God is good. And we're to resist the devil. We're to draw near to God, right? And he'll draw near to us. And if we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. It's pretty practical, isn't it? And it's amazing, because when you then break this down further, and this informs your doctrine and theology, then you go, wow. So sin and sickness, the result of the fall of man, is not of God. Jesus came to die for our sins and to bear our sickness. And in fact, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, you know of Jesus, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power, and how God, God actually anointed him. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That verse is very telling. It implies that sickness is actually uh, from the thief. It's actually the result of the fall, the result of, of the consequences of the fall of humanity. And Jesus addressed it, not by continuing it, not by giving it to others. You don't see anywhere in the New Testament where he went into a village and distributed a plague or gave broken legs to kids or put cancer on people, or gave people mental problems. He didn't do that. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, because God was with him. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, oppress, inhibit, hinder. He said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. There are benefits. You know, I one time got a credit card offer in the mail. You ever get those? And they'll send them to you and they'll itemize the benefits for membership. And they'll tell you, man, if you use this card, you're going to get so many points on your favorite airline and you know that and then you'll have free travel for vacation and all these kinds of incentives. Some of them are enticements, some of them are legitimate, but you, you read about that to see what, you know, the interest rate is and what the benefits are. And it reminds me of Psalm 103, which I think is a famous itemization of God's provision. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. That's right off the bat there, guys. It's imperative that we understand the blessing of walking with God, the blessing and the benefit. Chiefly, it's that we have assurance that we're pleasing Him. Faith pleases Him. Number one, we want to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. First and foremost, it's not about us, it's about Him, and He's worthy. And He's worthy of honor and praise. And just the idea that we could actually have our lives reclaimed and brought into citizenship with heaven, and that our selfish little party animal stupidity can be converted, and we can actually have a life where we're serving God, and it's not all about me, it's about Him. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. The Bible says, then all these things will be added unto you. That's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's biblical pattern. There are patterns to provision. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, all these things. What things? The things necessary for life. He gives life and breath to all. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. He provided manna for the ancient Israelis as they left the Egyptian bondage and they were on their way to the promised land. He later provided for the next generation going across the Jordan River and taking the land. He is our provider. The Lord is my shepherd, David said in Psalm 23, I shall not want. One translation said, I shall not lack. One scripture in the Psalm says, let them continually say, the Lord be magnified, who delights in the prosperity of his people. And that soul prosperity, 3 John 2 says, beloved, I wish above all things. It's my prayer, John the Apostle. It's my prayer that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And so there's a soul prosperity that once that's settled and we get informed, that's just basically getting our minds renewed, itemizing the litany of blessing that we, to know God, to walk with God, he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It's perfectly appropriate to have this in our, settled in our system that as we walk with God, it's rewarding. It's not our motive, but it is an incentive. Our motive is to love God. But God puts incentives in things. He put uh, blessing in our situations. I mean, here's what I think. When I was a child, my parents had a little cardboard box with a little wicker place setting that they would bring out right around the end of October. And we would have it on the center of our table as a centerpiece of our dining room table in our little tract home in San Diego, and it was called, does anybody know what that's called? Hornucopia. People call it a horn of plenty or a cornucopia. This was from antiquity. What it was was because of the way the horn is shaped, where it's, it's large on the, on the one side, and then it goes into a, what almost looks like infinity. I asked my mom, why is it, what is this? Well, it's a cornucopia. What, what does it represent? She put fruit in it and gourds and things, and we had candles next to it, it was pretty cool. I was thankful that through the course of our years, we never lit it on fire with the candles right next to it. But anyway, what she said to me was that the end of it, like church spires on uh, the traditional, beautiful uh, cathedrals and churches all around the world. The reason the architects put steeples is it points upward. That's why Nicolae Ceausescu's wife in Romania, she's a wicked lady, she'd look out on the horizon and command that the church spires be torn down. Wicked, evil, that kind of thing tried to come in and settle on the Eastern Bloc nations, but God's raising it up. He said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Ceausescu's are gone. The church is continually going in Romania. Praise the Lord Jesus for that. The Eastern Bloc nations are getting hope for another opportunity to walk with God. It's one of the most wonderful moments in our recent history since Winston Churchill called it an iron curtain. The Lord opened it, and he's kept it open. He used a former actor, became a president named Reagan, and a guy with a birthmark on his head named Gorbachev, and they got together. Two guys in a Cold War, the, the country's very hostile, and they had some sort of God-touched their hearts. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And God prospered us as, as, as a world, as a civilization. By moving on these two leaders, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Whether you voted for him or not, whether you liked him or not, whether you trusted him or not, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Whether they're perfect or not, in fact, none of them are. Only the king of kings is perfect. You pray, God can move some mountains. God can stabilize a culture. God can halt wars and rumors of wars. God can calm the sea. He could part the Red Sea. He could still the storm. He can bring healing and change. And he is, and he does, and he shall, and he will. So, listen, part of my core belief is that God does answer prayer. God does. That's why it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, first of all then, Prayers, petitions, supplications, and giving of thanks be made on behalf of all men, especially those in authority, so that we may lead a quiet and tranquil life. We pray for, I have friends in France, they're praying for President Macron. I know people in Russia, they're praying for Vladimir Putin. I know people in the United States, they prayed for Obama. Now they're praying for Trump. They prayed for Reagan. We pray. God is so big and his kingdom is so mighty, it transcends all this darkness. We receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And as we live on this earth, we're called to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And God has so much provision. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, according to Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And I pray you prosper, and I pray you be in health, even as your soul prospers, that you even sit here and think, you know, God does love me. God does have a plan for my life. God does want to do something in my heart. God does want my kids to serve the Lord. God does want my community to be blessed. God does want our town to have good jobs. God does want our schools to be safe and protected. God does want, during what they call flu season, for it not to alight upon us and for people to be healthy and well. God does want the opioid epidemic to be halted. God does want our society not to blow up. Right? I want to read Psalm 86, 5 and 15, Psalm 103.8, and Psalm 130, verse 7. I was looking in the King James studying. This phrase came to me. He's plenteous in mercy. Everybody say plenteous. plenteous. So I want you to get a vision of how God has no short supply. He's rich in mercy. That as grace abounds toward us, there's even a truth in Romans chapter 5 that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And then Paul has to clarify it, though, because it's just so amazing that there's such sin-canceling power in God's mercy and grace. But he has to say to the Romans that we're all so hedonistic and so selfish. He said, look, should we continue in sin that grace might increase? And he said, may it never be. The message of God's mercy, plenteousness of grace and mercy, doesn't give license to sin. And if people are looking for license to sin, there's a problem. Because God actually wants us to walk in righteousness and hate sin. God said the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And the sin we should hate the most in the world is our sin. That's why we put away the pointing of the finger and we don't judge. Judge not lest you be judged. If you're going to concentrate on anything, work on yourself and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and grow in this these truths, and realize that he's able to make all grace, every favor, and earthly blessing come to you in abundance. I like the cornucopia, the horn of plenty. I like it for what it symbolizes. The early Americans, they talked about how they came to a land of plenty, and they were talking in terms of around the first thanksgivings, the celebration of, man, look at how good we've got it. Look how we've got religious freedom. Thank God. That was one of the first Promptings of why the colonists came here in the pursuit to get free and out from under the harsh environment of, uh, of, of restraint and to have religious freedom. I pray in Jesus' name we don't forfeit it in this present world we're in right now. And in fact, I pray we understand that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's a liberty. He that the Son sets free is free indeed. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It goes on and on and on. We're free, yet don't use your liberty as a cloak for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So we are admonished in these two areas. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek. him. recently, some of you have been making commitments. God notices it. God's pleased with your commitment. You're saying, Lord, I want to present myself as a living sacrifice. I want to, I want to come in and I want to press on. For some of us here, it's a miracle we're in church Some of us here, it's like, how did I get here? By the grace of God. By the grace of God. God's drawn you out of darkness. He's called us to himself. And the greatest, most wonderful aspect of this provision is that we have him as our father. Our father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then it goes, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because he does provide. You're my father. You're in heaven but you're not a withholder. You're a good God. You came to bring healing. Heal us and we'll be healed. Healing's happening right now. Save us and we'll be saved. If you're not, if you're processing this and trying to figure it out, as many people have, God wants to walk you through this and reveal himself to you in terms you can understand so you can taste and see that the Lord is good and you can have a breakthrough. You say, well, I've been serving God for many years. I'm in the marathon. So Pastor Jeff, what you're sharing with me, I, I, I already know, okay? I'm stirring you up by way of reminder. One of my favorite breakfasts, bacon eggs, hash browns with hot sauce. I take the pepper top off and I load it up with pepper and then I stir it all up, cut the eggs up. They're, they're usually uh, either over medium or over easy depending upon the restaurant. I don't like the, yellow, the white runny, but I like the yellow runny. I don't like it when they cook the yellow where it's all hard. That's like a hard-boiled egg. I could have ordered a hard-boiled egg. So I got that all done. Then I take the hash browns that I ask to be crispy. I ask for my toast to be crispy, either sourdough or an English muffin or wheat. How many of you have ever had bacon, eggs, and hash browns before? How many of you like them? How many of you have had them maybe over three times? Over 100 times? Over 75 million times. (laughs) And it's like, well, I had this. Well, I'm never going to have this again. I had this once. You know, there's some things you just want to have once, like liver and stuff like that. (laughs) But I do love Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the soul. I didn't memorize it. It's just been over and over in my heart that he pardons all of my iniquities. What a treasure. Heals all my diseases. We who have sinned are so appreciative of a Savior. Aren't we? We who have battled sickness or have concerns about our health are so grateful to know he's the Lord that heals us, and he doesn't withhold it. He redeems our life from the pit. Praise God for that. You know, it's just amazing what provision there is in this book. Psalm 86, 5. I'll read it in the New American Standard, but then I want to go back to the King James. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant In loving kindness to all who call upon you. Isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful? We call upon the name of the Lord. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. I think personally, here's how I believe about this people need God, people need the people of God. You're needed. You're needed. The purpose that I'm preaching this for is to build your heart of faith and expectation for God's provision so you can actually appropriate it and you can mix what you hear with faith and become an amazing conduit of the idea that he's able to make all grace abound toward you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. It's not so much even about a consumer thing, about how much we can accumulate our life doesn't consist in the stuff we own. Really, it's about living water coming upon us, but not just reservoiring in us, but flowing, overflowing. I love my dad, Clyde Perry, beautiful, optimistic man. He said, I'm a glass half full guy. And I know in my life it would be like, he, you know, you could get stressed out and get pessimistic and be glass half empty. But King David said it this way, my cup runneth over. And I love that. As far as the glasses go, whether your personality is more optimistic or pessimistic, that's part of life, you know. Whatever your thing is, you know, and you could bring either side to the table and say, "But the God I serve is rich in mercy. He's able to make all grace abound toward us. He is our sufficiency." Patsy and I tried to live in Europe after Bible school, and the Lord prompted us to come back here and be part of St. Louis and work here and give our lives here, and I'm. Uh, You know, we could be in a lot of places, but this is the place God wanted us to be. And we're very thankful to Jesus for being the head of the church and guiding us. And we had wonderful doors of opportunity and different things happened. And yet God wanted us here. Praise the Lord. And God wants us to do this or that and, you know, refrain from this or that. And we just are all endeavoring to follow, figure out what God wants us to do and follow him. Right? He says, my sheep know my voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. This is one of our key prosperity provisions is that he would pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh and those who walked in darkness would see a great light and that God would give us a prophetic heads up And he would give us equipping to be able to withstand the stupid, wicked attacks of the enemy and with a shield of faith and the power of agreement, the idea that our church is to be a house of prayer and praise and the word and worship. And God's called us out of darkness to show forth his marvelous light, to show forth the excellencies of him. God is excellent. Everybody say excellent. We're to excel. And so God didn't put us in this little meager thing where we just kind of, can't wait till it's over. God's wanting to put some pizzazz and punch on, and purpose on your life's situation, your little lifespan. that He wants to shine through us. He's created us for good works. The people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. The world is perilous. People would wax ungrateful. There'd be wars and rumors of wars. You could read about it. And you can see it. But as we look at it, we lift up our eyes because we realize our redemption draws nigh. And we are not of this world. We are called out of darkness to show forth this light. Who has overcome the world but he that believes Jesus is the Son of God? There, in fact, in the patterns of provision is enough grace for us to overcome even the flesh, overcome the devil, and overcome the world. Who has overcome the world but he that believes Jesus is the son of God. And we all, as we're in this human condition, none of us are perfect. We're all human. That's why when you read the Bible and you see Paul, Silas, Barnabas, David, uh, Jeremiah, all these guys, human beings, you see in the early church, when God took a hold of Peter or John and Paul and these different ones, just the amazing enhancement, the amazing advantage The amazing scope of impact, the power that thundered through that little group of people. And then we read it, and we see, God, that God is our God. That's why I take my Bible seriously. That's why let's read Psalm 86, 15. Look at how he's plenteous in mercy. But you, O Lord, are a God of mercy and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. The King James says, plenteous in mercy. Everybody say, plenteous He's rich in mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Behold the goodness and severity of the Lord. The conclusion we have to land on has to be through what happened on the cross. This is how we judge the Old Testament. This is how we evaluate the great white throne judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, and all that fire that's going to consume our works and so forth. It gives us a settledness because we're in Christ. When you accept Jesus and you're in Christ then that judgment that was our destiny, the Bible says he took all of our sin and nailed it to the cross. In Galatians, he said in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me. God loves you. God wants you to succeed more than you do. God wants you to be thrilled with hope. God wants you to have so much joy unspeakable. God wants to visit you in the night seasons, walk with you at work, prompt you to pray, give you a prophetic heads up about things. He wants, he's not a withholder. The Lord God is a sun and shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And later on it says, for those who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. So there is an admonition for us to study to show ourselves approved unto God crucify our flesh and get on fire for Jesus. It's not just emotional zingers and yelling louder. It's a fiery tone that gets down in our spirit, gets up and informs our soul and even invigorates and brings life to our mortal bodies. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will quicken you, hallelujah. That's a King James word for bring life to you, get you out of lethargy, get you out of distraction, He knows how to deliver the godly from temptation. He can can help us to move into a new level of faith. In Hebrews chapter 4, the people of Israel, as an example, they didn't mix what they heard with faith. What we do in a meeting like this is when we hear the word of God, we check it out, make sure it's biblical, we mix what we hear with faith, basically saying, I'll take that. That's mine. Say that with me. I'll take that. That's mine. It's for me today. It's daily bread. What it, Does God really want to supply and meet my needs? Here's what I want to say about this. It's, we don't just sit there idly. We actually have been given gifts where the Bible says, let him that stole steal no more, but let him labor working with his hands in order that he may have something to give to those in need. See, because really God meets our needs. He gives us jobs so we can be fruitful and productive and not just be lazy. Because we have a balance, in order to have a balanced life, we're number one, worship, we're called to worship. Number two, we work, we do our work heartily unto the Lord. Number three, we rest. And number four, we play. Psalm 103, verse eight. You ought to read Psalm 103 in its entirety. It's so awesome. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. There it is again. Everybody say plenteous and mercy. This will help you in your marriage. You need to have a mercy basis in your marriage. You need to have mercy basis in your child rearing. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Bible says that we are to judge not lest we be judged. Society is really loving being judgmental and it is not smart. The reason it's not smart is because to the degree that you judge, you'll be judged. (laughs) So it's like there's a motivation there. it's like, oh, By your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you and more will be given to besides. That's why the Bible, when it says give and it'll be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it's really not talking about tithes and offerings, although that's a truth. But it's talking about forgiveness and about mercy. Hallelujah. Everybody say mercy. mercy. You know, if you show mercy, you'll be shown mercy. Be merciful. Have you ever gotten tempted to get bitter? I mean, I was just thinking this morning of a situation where somebody really did something harmful to one of my kids. And I just had to deal with it. And I was getting all work, and you could feel it. I'm thinking of things I should have said, and it's like, wait a minute. That's the flesh, and I'm not going to enter into the seat of the scoffer. I'm not going to get judgmental. I repent. I forgive. Because the Bible says, hey, you've been forgiven a $50 billion debt called sin. So if somebody owes you a nickel... Or even if they owe you $50 million, forgive them. And then Peter goes, uh, like seven times. He's trying to get off the hook with his calculator. (laughs) Or his abacus or whatever he had. And it's like, "Uh, yeah, Peter, 70 times seven per offense per day. So that's 490 times. I forgive you, 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 400. But then it's funny, it's me, well, what if I get to 491, can then I hold bitterness? No, Jesus is making a point. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor be put away from you, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. That's what I love about fasting in Isaiah 58. It's the putting away, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking of wickedness. I've noticed fasting helps to penetrate that judgmentalism because you're fasting, you're not eating, and you want to get practical with God and you want to experience some change. Psalm 130, verse 7. Let's look at this about plenteous and mercy. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is loving kindness and with him is abundant redemption. Get a hold of this. This is the mercy of God and getting this settled into our thought life and our awareness. My Redeemer lives. This is why it's practical to serve the Lord. This is why so many of us are drawn to an atmosphere like this because there really is help. Eugene Peterson, the Presbyterian pastor who wrote the Message Bible paraphrase. He translated one of the Psalms, real help comes from God. Say that with me. Real help comes from God. He gives power to the faint. They that wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. In everything give thanks, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter five. I am very thankful. The Bible even says this. We are to continually say, we the believers are to continually say, the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of his people. We're told to actually continually say that. And I've been around observant, committed, orthodox Jewish people with their their Hebrew texts on airplanes and things like that. I've watched them get up and go to the back of the plane. We flew to Israel a few months ago and the the flight attendant said, during the prayer time, we have a space for you in the back of the plane for you to stand and pray because that's their expression of faith. And they're back there, and they're praying out the word out loud out of their mouth. I remember one flight I was on and there was a man of orthodoxy. You could tell with his, the whole, you know, the elements of his worship, you could just tell. And he was reading this book. He closed the book, the, it was before they told us to take the seatbelt off. So just then he, he closed his book and then when the light, the light turned off, he took his seatbelt off and he turned and he, and he closed his book and we caught eyes and i knew that he had just found something real good from the from the word and he just had a satisfied look of how he had just fed off of understanding that god of the bible is present to help fosters change answers prayer is more than enough makes us more than conquerors and all these things always causes us to triumph is the healer who heals the savior who saves hallelujah yeah. glory